over the last few weeks, we've been in Psalm 23, and we've looked at three things, the third today, be still, be still and find direction, and be still and trust God. As we look at the need for emotional stability, one of the reasons we become unstable and get knocked off balance is because we forget where stability comes from. It is not of my own making. It's not of my own doing. It's, it's not of my abilities and my strengths. It is in the Lord. And so as we look at these last two verses in the 23rd Psalm, I want us to look and see how our strength is in trusting God. And we know this psalm. It is very, very familiar to us, mostly from hearing it or seeing it or talking about it in funerals. But it is a life psalm. It is a psalm about how we are to live, even in the most difficult of times. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What David is writing about in this psalm is the inexhaustible resources that we have in God. God's provision and protection and supply for us. The shepherd, as we have talked about, has to lead the sheep. The sheep will only get themselves in trouble if they don't listen to the shepherd. So the shepherd has to lead them not only to green pastures, but to avoid poisonous weeds and poisonous plants, to avoid things that sheep are highly allergic to. There are certain flowering plants that, that a sheep will be very, have a strong reaction to them if they eat of them, and a sheep will eat anything. It's kind of like a, a, a child at a, at a buffet line. I mean, they'll just go for anything. And so the shepherd has to guide them along the path that they should go. And here's the problem. When a sheep doesn't listen to the shepherd, troubles arise internally or externally. And when we get off path from God and walking with him and daily obedience with him, we're going to get in trouble internally or externally. When we choose our way and our path and our designs and we get the I know better than God disease, then at that point, things begin to fall apart. When we get the mentality that says, I can't trust God for everything in my life, so I'm going to have to take control here and I'm going to have to be in charge here and if I need God, I'll call on him then we deny what Paul says in Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all your needs, not some, 
all your needs according to, out of, through his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, the last time I checked, that's inexhaustible. Everything that God has, he says, out of what I have, I'm going to supply it for you in Christ Jesus. So we first thing we need to do is trust God to deal with our enemies. You got any enemies? I know y'all are all so spiritual that everybody loves you. I could go to a family reunion and find one of them at least. We have to trust God in how to deal with our enemies. He says God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. David, a man after God's own heart, knew what it was like to have enemies. The people that didn't like him, didn't trust him, didn't want to follow him. Sheep have enemies. Saints have enemies. Now for the sheep, it's wolves and coyotes and other things. For us, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. But we have natural enemies. There are enemies in this world that are opposed to the fact that we live in this land. They would like to destroy this land. They're our enemies. We've never met them. They've never met us. But they hate us and they want to destroy us. There are physical enemies. There are spiritual enemies. We have demonic enemies. There's the unseen foe that never sleeps that is always looking for ways to bring us down. And then personally, we've got people that resist or fight or undermine or gossip about us. And and the reality is there are people that despise you without cause. The reason they despise you is because you're breathing. And they just don't like you. They just decided somewhere along the line, for some reason, they didn't like you. And so they don't like you, and there's nothing you can do to change that. But you need to remember that your enemies are not flesh and blood. And your weapons for dealing with that are not flesh and blood. It's not your conniving, your strength, your power, your design, your plan. That's not going to fix that. People are going to be people. Lost people act like lost people sometimes. Saved people act like lost people. And that's not going to fix it. And, and can I just tell you, it's, it's not going to be fixed by arguing on social media. And you, you look sometimes, if you, if you want to just see the insanity of words, just look at replies and comments, replies and comments, replies and comments, and it just runs on up. Yeah, but you don't know. Well, yeah, but I think, and yeah, but you don't know. And I'm going to defriend you. Blah, 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 blah. And it just goes back and forth, and it's insanity. It's insanity. Listen, you're never going to win an argument with your fingers on a keyboard. You're just not. And you're never going to change someone who dislikes or disagrees with you by your many words. The only thing that changes that is a change in relationship. And so I'm going to give you Bob Newhart's counseling advice for how to deal with it. Just stop. 
Stop arguing with people. Now we've got 280 characters on Twitter instead of 140, as if we needed more words. Just stop arguing. Hey, it just dies for lack of a second. You can state what you believe. You can state what you feel. But then don't argue. I see men on social media talking back and forth about football as if eternity depended on yesterday's games. And defriending, your team beat mine. I'm just mad. Well, quit acting like a sissy. Something came up not long ago, and I, I wanted to respond. I really did. I mean, I did. I wanted to jump on it, stomp on it, stomp on it some more, look down on it, stomp on it again. And God just checked me, and then God sent Jim to talk to me. Jim said something to me. It makes a lot of sense. Just remember when you pick up your sword, God lays his down. And when you lay yours down, God picks up his. You see, God is your shield and your defender, Amen. not you. You're a sinner, they're a sinner. You're not going to change them. They're probably not going to change you. The only thing you can do is die to it. Just die to what they think, die to what they feel, the people that are opposed to you, the people that despise you, the people that hate you, whatever it is. You got to let it go. Because some of the battles in our life are of our own making. We just look like somebody trying to pick a fight all the time. Well, David, the setting of this psalm is during Absalom's rebellion. We talked about that in the first message. David has been driven out of Jerusalem, he's out into the wilderness, so he's from the heights of Jerusalem. He's gone down into the wilderness, and the wilderness is not what you and I think it is. It's a very dry and barren area, not many trees. And he's out there, and he's running, just like he had run in the wilderness before from Saul. Seems like David spent a lot of time running. Here's a man after God's own heart, but he's got enemies. And he's out in the wilderness, and he doesn't know if he's going to survive. He doesn't know what's going to happen. His son has rebelled against him and turned people against him and, and has ascended to the throne. And David is sitting here thinking, is it over? Am I done? And people have traveled with him and gone with him. And in the middle of that, God knows and God cares. And let, you're going to see these verses on the screen. 2 Samuel 17, 28. It tells us, about three men who came, and look at what they did. They brought beds, got to have sleep, got to have rest, basins, got to hold water, pottery, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, lentils, parched seeds, honey, curd, sheep, and the cheese of the herd for David and for the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. So here's David, and he's swamped, he's overwhelmed by the rebellion of his son. He's overwhelmed by the situation that he's in. He's got all these people that he is responsible for, and God raises up three people to say, let's go take care of him. Let's go minister to him. You know what God did? God provided a table in the wilderness, in the presence of of his enemies. 
While David was wondering maybe, does God care? God said, I've got three guys I'm going to send. They're going to do something for you that you're not expecting because I'm going to remind you, David, that I have a table for you before your enemies. I've laid it out. There's going to be plenty I'm going to provide. Now, the interesting thing is where this happens in David's life is the same place that Jacob was at when he saw the, the vision of the angels protecting him. What we see here is that God has prepared a table and supplied what David needed at the moment that he needed it. When we run ahead of God, we may miss the table that he's prepared for us. In the presence of our enemies, of our problems, of our setbacks, of our suffering, we may miss what God has for us. Has it ever been possible for us to understand that Jesus has never found a need he could not meet. There's not one time in the Gospels, in the earthly ministry of Jesus, there's not one time where Jesus said, I'm sorry, you know, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. You know, I, I only got X number of miracles I can do a day, and then after it, you just should have gotten here earlier. No. In every place, in every time, with every need, he gave the supply. He gave the provisions. The people are hungry. Send them away. We don't want to have a problem with these people. Let's send them away. And Jesus said, you find something for them to eat. And so they take what's basically a small meal, one small meal of a kid. It's a miracle that kid hadn't already eaten that meal. And, they, and he takes that one small meal and he multiplies it and feeds 5,000 plus women and children. So 15,000 people. And just because... God knew there would be Baptists one day who would not believe what he says. There was a basket left over for every one of the disciples to carry to the boat of leftovers. To say, not only does God supply, but God supplies more than we could ever think that he could supply. And every disciple that started that day thinking, we got to get rid of these people. we got to get rid of these problems. we got to get rid of this crowd so we can go and sit down at a restaurant and have a nice meal by ourselves. God said, no. I'm going to feed them, and then you're going to carry a fishing basket back to the boat. And every step you take back to the boat is going to be a reminder. I didn't think God could, but he did. How many times have we thought God couldn't, but he did? Amen. That that was beyond what God would do for me, but he did it. And so here's Jesus, who never finds a moment when he's not in charge, when he's not in total control, and he calls us, just like he called David, everything in the Bible from the time of Abraham all the way through is that we are to live by faith. Abraham is the first instance of the verse. The just shall live by faith. We are to live by the faith principle, by the life of faith, not the life of feelings, not the life of getting even, not the life of what's fair, not the life of my way, but the life of faith. We are to live by the life of faith. So what is it to live by the faith principle? Manly Beasley had the best definition of it. It's coming on the screen. I want us to read it out loud together. Faith is believing that it is so when it is not so, 
because God said so, so that it would be so. Let's say it again. Faith is believing that it is so when it is not so because God said so that it can be so. You see, faith is believing what God says. Faith is not believing how I felt when I got up this morning or how I felt yesterday or how I feel depending on the circumstances that I'm going through. Faith is not an emotional ride. Faith is an act of the will. I choose to believe what God has said in his word, that where there is no way, God makes a way. Secondly, we need to trust God to provide what you need when you need it. Now that's hard because we like to run ahead of God. It's easy to have faith if you already got it. You already got what you need. Oh yeah, I live by faith. I've got everything I need. But when you don't have everything you need, that's when you have to live by faith. And so look, he says, he prepares a table. That's God's provision. God's provision. Now a table is a metaphor for God's graciousness and God's provision. But not only that, he anoints my head with oil. That's God's power. Remember, oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. And my cup overflows. That's God's plenty. That's God's plenty. God's provision, God's power, and God's plenty. In other words, all you need is found in him. Now, how do I live by that principle? How do I walk in that dimension and in that dynamic? Romans 6, 11 says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word consider means to reckon. It means to take into account. To, to, it's an accounting term. It means to look at the ledger and see that the ledger says that we are dead and alive in Christ. When Christ died, I died. When he rose, I rose. He saved me. I was at the cross 2,000 years ago because when Christ died, he died for me. And when he rose, he rose for me. And when he sent the Holy Spirit, he sent the Holy Spirit for me that I might walk in an overcoming resurrection, victory, and power that I cannot have by religion. Religion doesn't do that for me. If religion could do that, then all religions would work. But religion doesn't work. It just makes man more miserable. Because man in religion is trying to get to God. Christianity is God coming to man. And so when he talks about this considering, he, he talks about in Romans 6, 6, that our old man is crucified with him, our old nature. So I am positionally in Christ which means that potentially I am every day in Christ, but my choices determine whether I'm living up to my position or not. Does that make sense? This way means yes, this way means that makes sense. I, I'm in Christ. 200 plus times in the New Testament it says we're in Christ. Now that's where I am. But a lot of Christians don't act like they're in Christ. They act like they're the answer to their own problems. It's not going to work. The reason you needed Jesus is because you couldn't save yourself. If you can't save yourself, you also can't keep yourself. 
So you need Jesus to save you. You need Jesus to keep you. You need Jesus in the past to save you from sin. You need Jesus in the now to keep you saved. And you need Jesus in the future to one day to take you to heaven into his presence. And none of that is going to happen in your strength. It's in just your abiding and your awareness of walking with him and realizing that God has given his provision, his protection, and his power for you. At the cross, Jesus prepared a table in the presence of his enemies. They thought they had defeated him. The devil thought he had defeated him. They thought it was over. They rolled a rock. They put guards in front of it. Didn't stop him. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. Now, if Jesus can overcome death and hell and the grave, why is it that we think we can overcome anything? When it took his death to save us from our sins and to deliver us so that we can live by faith and embrace by faith the cross and the tomb, then and only then does his victory become my victory. You see, if it's out there somewhere, if it's, yeah, I believe in the cross, it's, it's out there. I, well, I'm going to go to Israel one day. I believe in the tomb. Yeah, it's out there. I, yeah, yeah, I really hope that's true, that we just, absent with the body is present with the Lord. I really hope that's true. But it, that's out there. But if it's not in here, then his victory never becomes our victory. His power never becomes our power. His overcoming never becomes our overcoming. The abundance of what he gives to us is a reminder that we are inadequate. We can't do it. And the sooner we admit it, the better off we are. Now, when, when, when I was in high school, uh, there were gas wars going on, and the cheapest I ever paid for gas was about 19 cents a gallon. Oh, those were the good old days. <laughs> you know, $3, you could fill up my Volkswagen and run on it for a month, you know. And so we'd go, on, when I'd get ready for a date, I'd just go and I'd get like a dollar, dollar fifty, you know, whatever I needed just to, just to get through. I just, what I needed just to get through. I don't ever remember growing up filling up my gas tank. And you know, I, I go now and I fill up my gas tank. I just fill it up. I top it off. It stops, and then I hit a little bit more until something starts kind of trickling out the side, and it's kind of running down. So now I'm in the overflow. Okay, so I've hit the overflow. I let it rest, settle down for a minute. Then I pump it a couple more times until it comes out, and I hit the overflow. But I see people at the same gas stations I go to. And they get $5 worth, and they drive off, they get $5 more. You know how much time and energy you waste doing that? It, it doesn't make your car run any better. That's what people do with God. They show up at church, and they say, I'd like $5 worth. Just $5 worth of Jesus today. Just enough to get me down the road for another day. And by, and by Wednesday, you're out. Might be by Monday afternoon. But you're out, you've run out, because you didn't come to be filled, you just came to get by. There's a difference in coming to be filled and just trying to get by. God did not say, I've come that you might get by. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And listen, you're never going to get everything Jesus wants for you. His provisions for you in this world 
that is so against you, you're never going to get it if you just get $5 worth of Jesus every week. It won't ever work. And you'll live an entire Christian life frustrated and defeated because you never just let go and let God take over. His provisions. Psalm 27. Just turn a couple of pages to Psalm 27. Because in Psalm 27, David, again, tells us that the Lord is our light, our salvation, and our strength. We were walking in darkness, Jesus is the light. We were in need, Jesus saved us. We were powerless, he gave us strength. Look at verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life, whom shall I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they shall stumble and fall. Now listen, let's just stop right there for a minute. If I'm the strength of my life, and if I'm the light of my life, and if I'm providing my own defense, I've got every reason to be afraid. But he says, it's the Lord that's doing this for me. Now, David was a powerful king, but he said, what I need is the Lord. And he said that, that though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rises against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. I want you to look back up toward the end of verse 2. They stumble and fall. Not me. They do. See, the enemy's goal is for you to stumble and fall. God's goal is for the enemies to stumble and fall. And for you to stand. So, David says, you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows Oil, that symbol of the Holy Spirit, the overflowing power of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So are we walking today in that kind of power? Or are we just trying harder? I'm going to do better if it kills me. It will. Because you can't do it. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you need Jesus to save you, you need the Spirit to sustain you. Amen. If you need Jesus to save you, you need the Spirit to sanctify you. If you need Jesus to save you, you need the Spirit to secure you in unstable times. If you need God's provision you also need God's protection. And that's what God is offering us. Now, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. Very familiar story in the Gospel of Mark. One of my favorite stories in all the Gospels. And I want you to see how this applies to us. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 and verse 25. This is a very familiar story. Uh, you will know it, you've heard it, but I want you to see yourself in this story today, in these last few minutes. Mark 5, a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years, verse 26, and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. Now, by verse 25 and verse 26, you could just mark down self-effort. Self makes it worse. Trying harder makes it worse. Turning over a new leaf, making a 
a, a rededication of something that's never been dedicated. Just makes it worse. It just got worse. She had tried, she had spent, she had planned, she had prepared, she'd done all this, and it just got worse. And after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, now she's reached this point. If I just touch his garments, I will get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Here's the difference. The crowd was pressing in on him. She touched him. The crowd was pressing in. She touched him. Could it be that one of the things that's wrong in our lives is we're in the crowd, but we're not to the point of being desperate like this woman? We've still got one more trick up our sleeves. There's one more doctor we want to see. There's one more person we want to get to evaluate this. There's one more thing we want to do. We want to refinance it one more time, and, and we want to see if we can go to the pawn shop and get that fixed. And go to, we, we always got a plan. We always got something. And the last person we talk to is Jesus. But we like being in the crowd. I mean, we like being in the crowd. The crowd's cool. The crowd's fun. We like to be around the things of Jesus. In fact, you know, there were people in that crowd that day, I'm sure, got their phone out and took a selfie. Jesus, hey, here he is. I'm right here. He's, he's over there. He's, see, he's right over there by the drum kit. See, if you look, if I blow it up, if I stretch it out on my phone, you can see it's me and Jesus. But you didn't touch him. And no power went out of him. And he didn't stop to find you in the crowd because you weren't really looking for Jesus. You were just looking for a feeling. You were looking for a Band-Aid on a bleeding artery in your life. You were looking for a, a moment. You were looking for $5 worth of Jesus. It's easy to do that. It's easy to come to church and do that. Well, I guess I ought to go to church, feeling a little down, hope it's good, and then we come in here and we're spectators, just like all the people that follow Jesus. You notice, notice in the times in the Bible where it says, and many followed him no more, they were spectators. As long as he was providing food, as long as he was doing miracles, I mean, they followed. They were spectators, but they followed from afar. And then when the cross came into play, they left. And we can be that way come to church and be spectators and so what we do is we come to church and we sit out here and we watch and say they better do something to impress me today I know we don't get a list of the songs we do it better be a song I like if it's not 
I'm not participating. Jesus is at a distance. We know him from afar. And so what we do is we come to church as spectators and we expect these people to be the participants and we watch them worship and then we walk out and wonder why church doesn't do us any good. Listen, church can't fix what you don't turn over to Jesus. You can go to the greatest worship service in the world and walk out and walk away from God the next day. Because it's not about being a spectator. In fact, the real way to look at it is we are worshipers. The people on this platform are the prompters and God is the only one in the audience. And is God in the audience, would he look at you and say, I see that person, I see that woman, I see that man, I see that couple, I see those kids. I see them. They touched me today because power went out of me. When's the last time you came to church and did more than stand up and halfway sing and take a few notes and walk out and laugh and fellowship in the atrium and go home just the same as the way you came in? When's the last time power came out of Jesus onto your life? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One commentator said, surely, said goodness and mercy were David's herd dogs. Now, you know what a, a herding dog will do. My daughter Haley has a herding dog, and that dog likes to herd me. I mean, when I'm, you know, I'm walking along, Penny will just come up beside me, and she'll just, start, she'll just start trying to move me in the direction she wants me to go in. A herding dog will get your attention by two ways. We'll get a sheep's attention by two ways. It will nudge the sheep or it will bark at the sheep. It will get to the side where the sheep can see it and hear it and it'll start barking at it. And what the herding dog is doing is keeping the sheep in line. The shepherd never has to say anything. The herding dog just keeps it, the sheep in line. Surely goodness and mercy. You know what ought to keep us in line? The goodness and mercy of God that none of us deserve. That ought to keep us in line. Will follow me all the days of my life. Not just some days. Not just good days, but good days and bad days. Up days, down days. All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God will see us safely home. Now, I want to show you this verse that's going to come up. Revelation 7, 17. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. But you don't know what I've been through. Oh, but God does. But you don't know how they've hurt me. No. I know how we hurt Jesus. Well, you don't know what they said. No, I know what they said about Jesus. And whatever anybody's done to you or has done to me, if we'll let him, God will prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And there will be a day when he'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. Have you reached the point where your testimony hasn't changed? I mean, there's still 
the hurt, the pain, the letdown, the divorce, the setback, the, the abuse, whatever it was, there's still all of that. But have you reached the point where that doesn't control you anymore? Where what controls you is the fact that you know and you can say, God's led me and he's guided me. He's taking me through the valley of the shadow of death with his goodness and his mercy. He's helped me to live an overcoming abundant life. And one day, the things that have broken my heart will all be dried away. And I'll be in his presence. Hey, the best way for that to be a joy to look forward to is to make it real now. And let him wipe away your tears now. And your pain now. And your sorrow now. And quit trying to fight your battles. And let God fight them for you. Let's pray together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. This altar is open. If today is a day that you need to just come and lay before the Lord burdens and trials, and sufferings and setbacks, whatever they might be, if today's the day that you need to make that right with the Lord, if it's the day that you need to say, Lord, I, I just need a fresh touch. I, I don't want to come here as a spectator, I don't want to be in the crowd. I want to touch you. Then I invite you to just get up from where you are and find your way to this altar right now. Just let the Lord embrace you. Let power go out of the throne of heaven and onto your life and to fill your life and come in you and through you. Not a feeling, but an act of faith, believing that it is so when it's not so because God said so, so that it might be so. Letting God heal your broken heart. Letting God soothe the wounds that this world has brought upon your life. Letting God take the words that have been said about you and deliver you from them and set you free from the sorrow and the hurt and the pain that you're feeling right now. Could it be that you came here today just to watch and observe, but the Spirit of God showed up today to say, I want to touch you in the innermost being. I want to set you free. Could it be that for the first time in your life or in a long time, today, you've begun to get a glimpse of the goodness and the mercy of God. Nothing you deserve, nothing I deserve, but the goodness and the mercy of God. Could it be that today you need to trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? There are men here at the front, and if you need to do that, Quit trying to fight your battles. Quit trying to win a battle you can't win. And give your heart and your mind to Jesus Christ. Ask him to save you from your sin. Come and find one of these men and say, I need to trust Christ. I, I am worn out trying to deal with life and I need to trust Christ with my life. I need to give him my life, my heart, my hurts, my problems, my pain. 
because he's the only one that can take it. And in that moment when you do that, I promise you power will come into your life. The Holy Spirit will come and invade your heart and be a comforter. It's one of the words for him in the Bible, the comforter. Maybe you need comfort today. Maybe you need peace today. Maybe you need power today. Whatever it is, Jesus can do it. He can do it. Lord Jesus, we come to you as desperate people. We don't have it all figured out. But we come to the one who finds us in our wilderness, who sees us in our moments of desperation, and who cares. The one who provides a table in the presence of our enemies who leads us in good paths in a world that always tries to lead us astray. Lord, may we consider today when we walk out of this place the goodness of a loving Heavenly Father, the grace of a loving Savior, and the gracious provision of the Holy Spirit. Let us not walk out of here having been spectators, but may we walk out knowing immediately that power from heaven has come. And immediately that that which we carried into this room has been taken away and that we can go in peace. In Jesus' name.